What the fuck is up, world? Bialy, Tlaltik, back. We back in this bitch. Another podcast for that ass. Another grito. Say ah, dicho. Coming less, well, less than two weeks. <laughs> it's about a week and some change since the last episode, right? Trying to break out the sad boy shit and fucking get back in the flow of things. You know what I'm saying? Trying to create more flowers to raise to the sky. Flowers in the hands to continue to raise to the sky. So chiquito mock my knee, right? And uh, I thought I would get back on this bitch because I was actually inspired. The water has been flowing, okay? I, you know, and uh, it led to the creation of an episode that I had really been wanting to do for a long time, but not directly in this way. Uh, one of the things about hip hop pedagogy, or I should say hood philosophy, uh, I should qualify by saying hood philosophy, is that it's deeply influenced by hip hop pedagogy. Even before I knew what the fuck hip hop pedagogy was, I was already trying to do the philosophy of hip hop in some kind of way because I maintain still to this day, it's only become the, the resolve is only strengthened, bro. I mean, I was already on this shit long before I learned about hip hop pedagogy. But uh, the point that I'm trying to state is that I've always contended that hip hop music is deeply philosophical and that there's no fucking need to listen or to read rather Plato, Aristotle and Socrates right y'all fuck boys like socrates speaking about a little bit of hip-hop pedagogy there you go some fucking childish gambino right there right very awoke thing to say a truly woke thing to say by childish gambino in that fucking line right um motherfuck those pedophiles bro I, I maintain that there's no need you know even back then i was saying this shit but now the resolve has only strengthened that there's no need to read fucking plato aristotle and socrates this is something that fucking dusty ass academics will always take fucking umbrage with. And that's because they're bitch made ass motherfuckers. It's that simple. Okay. They're just trying to uphold the colonial order that I have no interest in doing so. And what I'm saying is that who gives a fuck about Plato, Aristotle and Socrates for one, because of their fucking, you know, who they were as people, but most importantly, because their shit's just not relevant, dog. Motherfuck them. I'd rather listen to some Kendricks or some J. Cole, some Pac, you know what I'm saying? All three of those motherfuckers have so much more philosophy that is relevant to my life than any fucking ancient Western Greek philosophy bullshit, dog. You know what I'm saying? So uh, long before I had the language to properly articulate this ideas, I was trying to work on some shit and, you know, trying to exp explicate this fact. You know what I'm saying? And uh, eventually, as I progressed through my doctoral program, I began to learn the language of the hip hop pedagogy and all that kind of shit and the culturally responsive, the culturally relative uh, pedagogy, the culturally sustaining pedagogy and the important role that all three of those play in advancing a non-Western European epistemology, essentially, to combat this colonial order that views those of us who don't adhere to this fucking Western Greek, Western world in general as inferior. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, nah, dog. I don't give a fuck about those three dudes. I'd rather fucking jump on. I'd rather jump on some fucking uh, Kendrick, J. Cole, Pac, etc. You know what I'm saying? And that's the attitude that I take into my classrooms every time I step in and teach a philosophy class. I let it go. I let it be known from day one, right out the go, dog. I don't give a fuck about these dudes. You know what I'm saying? And we listen to some Outcast. We listen to whatever, bro. You know what I'm saying? And um, I had wound up before I settled on a dissertation that <laughs> inevitably got rejected because. UTEP colonial order, right? Not surprising. But uh, before I settled on the initial, the hood philosophy shit that was I was trying to do as my dissertation, 
I was going to do an, uh, uh, my dissertation on hip hop pedagogy. And I had this fucking, this article that I wrote that I had submitted to a fucking conference that got accepted. And, uh, I never went to present on it because I just felt like, you know what, dog, I don't need to, I don't, I don't need the accolades of a bunch of fucking progressive liberal white people, honestly. You know what I mean? It's not for them. <laughs> so I never went to present on it. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, I had forgotten about it completely. I had completely forgotten about that paper until I sat down to revisit some of the old work that I did for my doctoral program. And I was like, oh shit, like I forgot all about this shit. You know what I'm saying? And uh, I actually started working on it for an episode of this podcast because I was like, again, it's not for these fucking bitch ass academics. You know what I'm saying? I want it for the people who fuck with me, dog, who listen to my podcast. That's who I'm fucking want to write this paper for. That's who I want to present it to. You know what I'm saying? So uh, I started to, you know, because you had to, I can't just fucking get on the mic and, you know, <laughs> read it verbatim the way it was fucking written. Uh, so I started chopping it up a little bit. And then uh, as I was doing that, dog, I started listening. I started re-listening to some Kendrick. You know what I'm saying? And uh, honestly, I, ha I haven't really listened to Kendrick in a long time, bro. Uh, when I was younger, when Kendrick first came out in the scene, like around 2010, 2011, 2012, around there, I was fucking deeply invested in Kendrick Lamar, dog. But after... I honestly would probably want to say to Pimp a Butterfly. And I just, you know what I mean? And honestly, I didn't really even listen to Pimp a Butterfly. Like I've never listened to it from start to finish. You know what I'm saying? And it's not because it's not a, it's not a fucking amazing album. It's a great album. Don't get me wrong. It's obviously, it's been inducted to the fucking National Congress uh, Library. You know what I'm saying? But it just, I, by that point, I my my I had grown up a little bit more. He had too, obviously. But uh, my interests, they just went elsewhere. I started listening to a lot of more melodic death metal at that point. You know what I mean? So as far as the hip hop was concerned, I was like, I was slowly deviating away from it. And, uh, you know, I listened to Damn. I listened to Damn. Damn was an amazing album. But uh, the point that I'm trying to make is like, this last album that he dropped, I really didn't care for it too much. You know, I didn't really listen to it. But, uh, and it's not a knock on him or that album. I think it's, it's a beautiful album. I, the whole notion about, you know, coming to terms with the masculinity, the toxic masculinity, I think it's beautiful. It's something that should be celebrated. It just wasn't really my thing at this point. You know what I'm saying? Um, so I, like, I hadn't really listened to Kendrick in a long time. And uh, just randomly, like, uh, one of his songs came on, on, you know, the iTunes or whatever. And it was from his old shit. And I was just blown away because even though, like I said, back in the day when, you know, Section 80 first dropped, bro, that was my shit, dog. Like, I would listen to that thing on a daily basis. You know what I'm saying? And I, ha I hadn't listened to it in over 10 years. And... As I was working through his paper that I was that I was just mentioning, this shit just randomly came on. The song just randomly came on. And I started tripping out because I realized that even though this was my fucking Raspberry Jam back in the day, there was so much in that one song that I was listening to that I didn't even understand back in the day, dog. Like, this is somebody, you know, I I, I came, uh, I was already 25, 20, like, nah, like 20, 23, 24 when Kendrick dropped Section 80. And I was already fucking balls deep in my philosophy degree. You know what I'm saying? And to listen to it 10 years later and realize that, fuck that fancy, you know, University of Texas philosophy degree. You didn't know what the fuck he was talking about. His shit was so advanced that even at 25, which would make me older than him at that time, you didn't understand me. I'm talking about me here personally. I didn't understand what the fuck Kendrick Lamar was even saying back then. That's how... That's how forward and progressive this Section 80 album was. That's how forward and progressive Kendrick Lamar was, dog. You know what I'm saying? That it took me 10 years and a even more philosophical, you know, uh, education 
to truly understand, truly now, because I understand it completely what the song was talking about now. You know what I'm saying? And I, it just blew my mind. It was so synchronicity, basically, essentially, because here I am working on this fucking S, uh, uh, paper that I had submitted to a conference for a bunch of fucking academic dorks that I'm now trying to synthesize to a fucking podcast to share with y'all motherfuckers. You know what I'm saying? Talking about how hip hop is far fucking better than <laughs> Plato, Aristotle, and Socrates. If I assign Section 80 to my classroom to, you know, and, and ask them to study that shit, they'll have a far greater time than they will fucking reading the, the, the Republic by Plato. I guarantee fucking you, dog. You know what I'm saying? And uh, I'm sitting here trying to make this point for this fucking episode that I'm working on on this fucking uh, paper. And then boom, it just happens. Like the very thing that I'm talking about happens to me with this fucking song by Kendrick Lamar. And I was like, you know what, dog? This is too much of a fucking sign. I have to drop this fucking podcast, not on what I'm talking about right now, but on this one song alone, dog. I need to do a deep dive into the philosophical underpinnings of this one song. And the song, for those of y'all who are Kendrick heads like myself, is High Power off the Section 80 album. So yeah, dog, like... High Power, the very last track off Section 80, which was either his first or second album, first uh, mainstream album for sure, or at least the one that went mainstream. I don't know. I don't fucking do like a biography of Kendrick Lamar, right? That's not important to me. What's important to me is his fucking music, right? Uh, anyways, it's the last track on the Section 80 album, the one that I was fucking first introduced to. And it just made me realize again how even though... It made me realize a lot of how much growth I may personally have made to the point now where... I can actually understand what it is that he was talking about in that song. And it's not like emotional growth per se, so much as it is cultural growth. And uh, what I'm trying to say here is that for those of you who have never listened to the song, I encourage you to do so, right? Stop this bitch right now. Come back. Like, don't fucking just leave me hanging and shit. You know what I'm saying? Come back. But uh, stop this bitch right now and just go listen to it. You know, even if you already know what the fuck song I'm talking about, like just stop this bitch right now and go listen to it. You know what I'm saying? Just to get yourself situated and contextualized on what the fuck it is I'm going to be talking about on this episode. And uh, the point that I'm trying to make here, you know, and you're coming back, is that this was a very proud black man, Kendrick Lamar. Okay. The whole song is dedicated to black revolutionary figures who I personally have always looked up to. I don't know if you can see it back here, right? But I got Malcolm X back there, dog. Is he back there still? Let me check. Oh, no, he's not back there. I got to throw his ass back up there, right? And uh, I also had Harriet Tubman. Those, those pictures that I have back there, bro, they were uh, part of an assignment that I did in my doctoral program. And uh, the assignment was to build an ofrenda. And at the time, I didn't have... Well, it was more than just an ofrenda. Well, it was an ofrenda, Okay. But I guess the the idea behind the ofrenda was to explain, if you will, your philosophical, your intellectual influences, right? And uh, so for my ofrenda, actually, that's actually where I got the picture of Biggie and Pac. Like that was the that was the main picture. Maybe I'll share it, dog. Maybe I'll share that that video that I made for that particular assignment. You know what I'm saying? But uh, I had actual pictures of you know Malcolm X, Harriet Tubman. Oh, man, the one dude's fucking name is, is escaping me at the moment. It's going to drive me crazy. But he was another black liberation leader, right? And then I had, of course, Emiliano Zapata, Maria Zabina, Sabina, and um, uh, fuck, Mancho Villa. But then I had some other more. You know what I mean? Actually, it's a crazy story, dog. I had a picture of, uh, man, I forgot this dude's name, too. I'm just 
You know what I mean? My, my, my short-term memory is a little bit affected right now, apparently. Long-term memory, too, I should say. But uh, it was this fucking Apache dude, you know what I mean, who Mexicans, allegedly, right? I'm scared to call Mexicans because what the fuck is a Mexican, right? Uh, they murdered his family, and he made like this... Who the fuck was this dude's name? I don't know. It'll, I'll, it'll come back to me eventually, right? Or maybe as you're listening to this, you know who I'm talking about. But he made this, you know, pact to kill all Mexicans ever since then, right? Which has always, like, bothered me because I was like, what the fuck did I do? You know what I'm saying? But uh, anyway, I, I, threw his, I threw his ass up on the ofrenda, too, in a little small picture. You know what I'm saying? Just to give the shout out because despite, you know, his understandable ill will towards Mexican citizens, I guess, national, I don't know what the fuck is Mexican. You know what I mean? Like, whatever the fuck he thought a Mexican was, right? I still fucked with him because, you know, his, you know, indigenous resistance, essentially. But uh, that picture, dog, for whatever reason, my cat would always knock it down. I thought it was really weird because I had the ofrenda up for for a while. After I made it, I had it up for a while. And uh, my cat would always knock down that one picture, bro. And she would look at it and she would like hiss at it. And I was like, man, what the fuck? So I just took it off. I was like, all right, dog, you don't want to be part of my shit? Fuck you too then. You know what I'm saying? Um, anyways, the whole point the whole point of, of, of mentioning this is because the idea that I had in my mind was that my intellectual... Uh, the people that I looked up to, the people that ground my epistemology, is what I should say, have always been very revolutionary-minded individuals. And if you notice that I didn't mention people like Martin Luther King, I didn't mention people like Mahatma Gandhi, okay? And that's for a reason. And the reason is because for me personally, now I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not trying to throw any shade at MLK or even at Gandhi, even though Gandhi is a little suspect, you know what I'm saying? Probably deserves a little bit of shade. But I'm not trying to throw shade their way. I'm just saying that for me personally, the nonviolent shit never really fucking resonated. You know what I'm saying? Even as a kid watching the X-Men, dog, it was always fucking Magneto over Professor X. Motherfuck that nonviolence bullshit. You know what I'm saying? It was always, that always resonated with me, dog. And uh, more importantly, it was, I was doing, you know, I was already balls deep in my not philosophy at this point. So I was doing the philosophy of the phase, dog. And if you if you see these people, I had Nietzsche up there too. I don't know if Nietzsche's up there either, right? Nah, I just kept fucking Zapata, Emiliano, and uh, Sabina. I was running out of space. I'm still running out of space, right? Trying to, you know, on my little portrait back there. But uh, anyways, uh, the idea was that if you look at these people's names, you'll see in their eyes a fucking determination and a fierceness that is uncompromising. You will see in their face a fuck. Uh, it's a strong face, dog. It's everything I've been talking about with the fucking Nawa philosophy. You know what I'm saying? These are people, and it's not just men, dog. Because like I said, I had Maria Sabina and I had Harriet Tubman up there, bro, and I had a few other women too. Uh, but the idea is that these are people who, in the fucking face of the alleged absurdity of existence, became so driven and committed to one singular purpose. That you could literally see the determination in their eyes. There was no fucking, there was no compromise. There was no, oh shit, is this the right path? Am I doing the right thing? No, there was no uncertainty. There was just fucking, I was listening to Kendrick before I started this bitch, right? Like I said, stop this fucking episode now. And if you haven't listened to the song, do so because it helps situate it. That's why I was listening to Section 80 before I started. You know what I'm saying? Anyways, you see it in their face, dog. You see it in their eyes. There's no compromise. There's no fucking uncertainty. These are motherfuckers with a fierce determination to accomplish what it is that they had, uh, that they believe their purpose was to fucking manifest. You know what I'm saying? Which resonates deeply with me, dog. And they were so committed to their fucking purpose that there was literally by any means necessary, dog. You know what I'm saying? Malcolm X, bro. Come on, man. Right? 
And uh, I didn't realize this when I was listening to this fucking Kendrick song back in 2012, 2013. He was already talking about that, dog. You know what I'm saying? And uh, one of the things that I realized growth-wise, culturally, is that because I, I, I really don't know what... It, I, I mean, I have my ideas. I have my speculations. You know what I'm saying? But... As far as Mexican, quote unquote Mexican, Hispanic, if you want to be derogatory about it, mestizo, if you want to be even more derogatory about it, I'll call it Chicano, Chicana, right? I'll even go as far as be like pan-indigenous about it if you want. I know that term is fucking complicated, you know what I'm saying? But it's going to be in line with what I'm talking about today because I'll, just, I'll explain later, right? But uh, the point that I'm trying to state is that we didn't really have these cultural icons to look up to as far as, you know, let's say, let's just stick with the Chicano, Right. We didn't have cultural, we still don't for the most part. There's a few, okay, uh, cultural icons to look up to when it comes to Chicano liberation, right? I got the flag back here, the Huelga. Obviously, we have Cesar Chavez, who's, you know, kind of there, right? But he's a very complicated figure, but, you know, who is it at that point? You know what I'm saying? We got Corky Ramirez, but nowhere near the level of a Malcolm X. Nowhere near the level of... A Martin Luther King Jr. Now, of course, shout out to Cesar Chavez. He recently got his day, which he deserves, right? But what I'm trying to say is, at least when I went to school, they didn't teach about Cesar Chavez, dog. But they taught about fucking MLK. You know what I mean? They didn't teach about uh, fucking Malcolm X either. And I'm sure that wasn't by accident, right? Anyways, the point that I'm trying to say is that it feels as though, at least in the black community, that they have figures to look up to when it comes to liberation, you know, liberation ideology, liberation pedagogy, right? And that's not necessarily the case in the Chicano community, which is why I contend one of the reasons so many Chicano people, Chicano, Chicanas, right? Why we naturally gravitate towards Black culture. There was an article that I read when I was in my PhD program. I'll list it for you if you're interested in reading it. Or maybe one day I'll summarize it just to laugh at how fucking ridiculous it is. But the name of the article was Todos somos blancos, right? And uh, translation for those of you who don't speak Spanish is we're all white. And it was written by a Mexican, a Mexican-American, right? I'm not going to call her Chicana. She doesn't get that. I'm not going to give that to her. You know what I mean? I don't just fucking dole out Chicana, uh, Chicanismo or Chicanisma willy-nilly. You know what I mean? It take, For me personally, it takes more than just being born Mexican-American to be a Chicano or a Chicana, right? So that bitch, she don't get it. She don't get it, dog. I'm not going to give it to her. And the reason why I'm not going to give it to her is because she was promoting a form of Hispanidad, a form of Latinidad, right? Which is basically Spanish white supremacy. And her Spanish white supremacy came in the form of this article, Todos Somos Blancos, where she talks about how Mexican kids in Texas naturally gravitated towards white culture. Because for whatever reason, it's a fucking dumbass article. I don't even care. It literally has no more bearing on this podcast episode aside from that. Right. And I guess the point being is that I remember reading this article and being physically repulsed by it because not only was it fucking, again, just white supremacist bullshit, but it wasn't true. It's just not true, dog. Like, I'm sure for sure there are a lot of, you know, Chicano and Chicana, uh, Chicana peoples who do gravitate towards white culture. But like I said, I don't fucking I'm, you're not a Chicano. You're not a Chicana in my eyes if you're doing that shit. You know what I'm saying? But we do, a lot of us, naturally gravitate towards black culture. That is no fucking doubt about that. You know what I mean? And uh, this was something that I personally, I struggled with for the longest time because, you know, appropriation and all that kind of shit. Basically, I let my, 
doctoral programming, my fucking Ivy League education programming, programming undo me of my lived experience in the hood. And the lived experience in the hood was the homies that I had who were black, they never gave a fuck that I liked Malcolm X. They never gave a fuck that I liked, you know, Harriet Tubman. They always are like, oh yeah, that's, they're the shit, basically. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't until I started going through my education process, like, oh, you can't like this person or that person because you're not black. And it's just like, what? That shit's weird to me. You know what I mean? And one of the reasons why it's weird to me is because, well, as fucking, you know, as amazing as these people are, one of the things that I've been talking about since I started this podcast, bro, is that I don't give credit to individual people for ideas that are part of the shared collective human experience. It's been directed mostly to European Greek philosophers. But the truth is that relates to, you know, black philosophers too, like Malcolm X. You know what I'm saying? Like, obviously he's speaking to a very, very specific group of people and a very specific historical context, right? But the ideas, dog, the spirit of resistance that he's fucking, that he embodied and that he was articulating, that's the shit that I'm talking about. That's universal, homie. That's the fucking universal desire to overcome. You know what I'm saying? And that's not limited to just black Americans. That fucking spans the spectrum, dog, of all ethnicities, right? This is why when I was sitting down to write this podcast, another part that I didn't understand when I was when I was younger listening to this Kendrick shit. I mean, I got it and I thought it was dope, right? But I really understand it now, dog. The very first song, fuck your ethnicity. I don't give a fuck if you Black, white, Asian, Hispanic, God damn it, that don't mean shit to me. Fuck your ethnicity, right? Like, dog, that's what the fuck, this is what we're saying, bro. I don't give a fuck. I, I will find inspiration in any person, regardless of their ethnicity, their gender, their sexual orientation, all these petty, bougie identity politics that we've been fucking just brainwashed with over the last 10 years to, to fucking detract from the central issue, which is that collectively it's the human experience it's fucking a very large minority of people the bourgeois the proletariat against a very small majority of people the bourgeoisie and because the bourgeoisie own the universities of course they're gonna fucking tell us that no you can't like malcolm x because you're a mexican he's not and, and you're not black right because they don't want us to fucking unite under that common banner of it's not about the ethnicity dog fuck your ethnicity it's about the fucking desire to be liberated by any means necessary. So yeah, dog, the whole point being here is that I, it made me realize now, you know, fucking about to be 37 years old, just how progressive and truly progressive, not that fucking overweight, blue-haired, fucking septum-piercing progressive bullshit. Truly progressive, right? Truly woke this Kendrick Lamar album was, dog. And I was as I was listening to this high power I realized another thing that I didn't understand, this time philosophically, and that was basically the master-slave dialect. You know, when I first started philosophy, dog, I really didn't care much for Nietzsche. It wasn't my cup of tea. It wasn't until I met a homie, uh, this Palestinian dude named Muhammad, right? Real name, okay? I'm not being stereotypical here. Uh, we called him Moho. And uh, he's the one that really put me onto Nietzsche. But even then, even then, even though he was, you know, telling me all this Nietzsche shit, I still didn't really fuck with Nietzsche, dog. And that's because me personally, I was still very much at the time enmeshed, even though I had this idea that it's like liberation by any means necessary. I still had within me deeply ingrained a lot of slave programming, bro. Okay. Which is why at the time, I, you know, what 
Kendrick was talking about in this song, High Power, still didn't really register, bro. And uh, it wasn't until many years later when I started to fucking really get into the, you know, decolonization, indigenize, decolonize, land back, fucking Chicanismo shit. You know what I mean? Where I really started to, you know, where the 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 the, pre- the programming, okay, the slave programming that I feel, you know, we as a community have been purposely indoctrinated with by, you know, the white liberal progressive academics at the behest of the bourgeoisie slowly started to chip away when I realized, actually, I'm not a victim, okay? <laughs> I'm not a victim. In fact, victimhood, as I've mentioned multiple times on this fucking podcast, is not in our cultural legacy. We were not victims then, and we are not victims now. A lot of these fucking Latinx dorks aren't going to want to hear that, right? But that's the whole point that I've been talking about in these last two episodes of the podcast. Fuck them, okay? It's true, right? Um, And around this time, I started to, you know, not only obviously get into Nietzsche because that's the whole shit he's talking about, dog. It's fucking, it ain't about, you know, your ethnicity. It ain't about your fucking sexual orientation. It ain't about none of that. Again, petty, bougie, identity politics bullshit. It's about two groups of people. Not the proletarian and the bourgeoisie because Nietzsche looked very fucking, he didn't care for Marxism, communism at all, bro. He thought it was a fucking, he thought it was an embodiment of the slave morality. His two groups of people were divvied up between masters and slaves. You have the people who are too weak to seek power, the, the slaves and the masters. And the slaves will, even though they're too weak to seek it, they don't have the spiritual, attitudinal, emotional strength, spiritual strength that I've spoken about at, at length at various points in this podcast. That doesn't mean they don't want the power. So they're going to seek to gain the power in another way, namely by subjecting the strong, the masters, to their own will, okay? Namely in the form of Christianity, but we also see it unfolding through shit like identity politics, fucking victim Olympics, right? All that kind of shit as well, okay? And uh, so once, you know, I started to accept that, like, oh shit, dog, I've been, I've been brainwashed to, you know, think that I'm a victim, in order to disempower me and keep me from having the actual power that I truly possess. You know what I'm saying? Once I started to accept that, I started to understand not just what Nietzsche was saying, bro, but more importantly, what a lot of the people in that song that Kendrick is talking about were saying as well. Now, I'm not going to do an episode on MLK. I'm not going to do an episode on, on Malcolm either because they are both so... They're so important that they've already, they have all the fucking attention that they deserve, that they that they merit, given to them, right? You want to go listen to a, fu- a fucking episode on the philosophy of, of, uh, of nonviolence? Like it's, you know, it's cool, I guess, right? If that's your thing. But nonviolence, that is, right? But there is like a philosophical foundation to it. So yeah, by all means, go listen to it, right? Because, because you know, it's important, I guess, you know, to be well-rounded. But uh, the point that I'm making is that there's already plenty of those out there, right? There's also plenty on them about the any means necessary shit by Malcolm. Yeah, by all means, fucking go listen to that shit too, because I think it's hugely important as well. The one I wanted to do, dog, was on Marcus Garvey. Marcus Garvey gets mentioned at the very end of High Power, right? Which to me is still fucking preferable to him not being mentioned at all. Me personally, I didn't find out about Marcus Garvey until I was like 26 already. I was already my first. It was about to be my first year teaching at uh, uh, at the community college that I work at, right? One of them. The first one I started working at. And uh, before the semester started, I got the textbook. And I read that bitch cover to cover. And at the very end in the back, they had a section called, quote unquote, other voices. And surprisingly, they had a section on African philosophy, like from the 
continent of Africa, right? And even though Marcus Garvey was not from the continent of Africa, he was mentioned under that Africano philosophy. And that shit legitimately blew my mind, dog. When I read it, I was amazed that it was even in there. Like, holy shit, this is dope, right? It's basically Nietzschean philosophy directed very specifically to the black community. Uh, again, he wasn't born in Africa. He wasn't born in the United States. He was born in the Caribbean, okay? The quote unquote Caribbean. Uh, but it was very specifically directed to, you know, black Americans in the early 1900s, dog, right? And uh, it had a very strong Nietzschean lens, bro. And it's something that I didn't really realize how, <laughs> I didn't really realize how prominent and important it truly was, again, until just literally less than a week ago, bro, when I was sitting down preparing that episode and wound up settling on this one, right? So without further ado, dog, let's fucking get into it, yo. And it, it starts first, I guess. It's already so deep in the podcast, but it's never too late to mention. If you haven't already, follow your boy, OG underscore Ice Nice 13 on the ground. I forgot my own handle, dog, right? It's fucking shorts for memory shit. I don't know what the fuck's wrong with me. You know what I'm saying? Uh, anyways, you already know the deal. If you haven't already, follow along, right? Um, so yeah, let's get into it. Let's talk about Kendrick first. And, you know, ob the obvious influence that, you know, Marcus Garvey had on Kendrick Lamar. Enough to at least... Uh, to be able to include him in a song. But realistically, as I was, you know, we progressed with this bitch, we'll realize far more than just that, right? Uh, again, dope rapper, mad philosophical, okay? And one thing that I do truly ap appreciate about him is his uncompromising nature. I, I, you know, I personally don't agree with a lot of the shit that he says, right? He thinks that Mexicans, for instance, are, you know, part of the Israelites, which is not true, first and foremost, and perhaps most importantly, extremely anti-indigenous, Right? But uh, despite that, I still admire his resolve and, you know, his resolve to speak his piece and firmly stand by it. He's never fucking taking it back. You know what I'm saying? This is something that a lot of people don't do. A lot of people walk back shit they said. Shout out bitch ass Joe Rogan for fucking, you know, doing that very thing after ex spending a whole fucking X amount of years telling people not to do that. Right. Making bitch ass Jordan, fam uh, Jordan Peterson famous by that very fucking concept. It's not easy, bro. A lot of people, they might fucking, you know, talk the talk, but when it comes time to walk the walk, they'll gladly walk back whatever that is they said in order to keep whatever it is that they have. You know what I'm saying? And it doesn't seem like Kendrick Lamar, at least not yet, you never know what the future holds, but it doesn't seem like he's like that, bro, which I appreciate the fuck out of. You know what I'm saying? It's a sigh of relief, and especially from a from a pop cultural perspective, because he's a, he's a pop cultural icon, Kendrick Lamar, right? So from a pop cultural mainstream perspective, it's definitely a sigh of relief to see people that are actually fucking true to their work. You know what I'm saying? Now, the reason why I say this is not to fucking dick ride, you know what I mean, Kendrick Lamar further than I already am, so much as to situate where this episode is going, okay? And where it's going is, again, explaining a little bit about what I, you know, I've never met a dude, maybe one day, but not as of yet, right? But just from what I've gathered from his music, okay? And that's that, this Kendrick dude, he's been on some real shit, dog. I think, you know, that a lot of people either misrepresent, don't understand, or even outright lambast, homie, okay? And uh, I know me personally, I was part of the second for the longest time. You know what I mean? Like I just like I spent the first 25 minutes of this bitch talking about. <laughs> but uh, one famous example of the lambasting came when he dropped that verse on Control. Again, another track that if you haven't heard it, I encourage you to do so. Come back, right? But 
pause this bitch and go listen to it if you haven't already. Or even if you have, go listen to it. Refresh your mind. You know what I'm saying? Contextualize this bitch. But uh, basically, for those of us who haven't heard it and aren't going to, he's calling out all of the other contemporary rappers of his generation, right? At the time that it was written, which is like around 2014, 2015. Okay. And um, he goes on to talk about after he calls everybody out, right? He goes on to talk about how even, even his own homies, the only friends that he talks about, he says, these are the only friends I have and I jump on tracks with them. Okay. Even then he puts them on notice and says, I don't give a fuck. When I jump on this bitch dog, you know what time it is. All right. You should know what time it is. All right. You know, this is, this is, this is me. I'm here for me. Right. And then he goes off to ask, what is competition before he continues his lyrical assault? Right. Again, it's, it really is some incredible shit, dog. If you've never heard it, I encourage you to do so because it's, in my personal opinion, not only one of the most important verses in contemporary hip hop, but perhaps in hip hop history. You know what I mean? Because of how spectacular and immaculate it really is, dog. Whatever the case, when it was dropped, it literally fucking flipped the hip hop world on its head. Partly because people didn't know what to make of it. And they didn't know what to make of it because obviously the history of hip hop beef and all that kind of shit. And most people thought that he was calling out these rappers and, you know, trying to start a hip hop beef with them, which maybe he was. Maybe he was. Me personally, though, I don't think that was the case. Me personally, I saw it as a fucking challenge, bro. And it was a challenge that only one rapper at the time, Bob, B.O.B., whatever, right? Can we pretend like we're a shooting star? Something like that. I don't know. The Airplane song, right? Wasn't a Bob fan. I don't know any of his music aside from that. I do know that he was also, he is also, or at least was, uh, a proponent of the Flat Earth, right? So there's that too. That's all I know about it, right? But uh, aside from that, I know that he, in my opinion, was the only person that properly responded to this Kendrick Lamar diss, dog. And the way he responded was, you know, he got on the fucking, on a track and fucking just riffed this amazing guitar solo. You know what I'm saying? And the reason why I think it's important, in order to understand the reason, again, we got to go first, we first got to go back to like the beginning of his career, through his career in general, right? But in this particular case, we're talking about the song High Power, right? It's it's one of those tracks, dog, that it, again, I'm telling you, you have to hear it if you haven't heard it already, okay? Uh, but before we get into like a quick breakdown of the, uh, uh, before we get into like an actual breakdown of the track, again, a quick little philosophical summary of the song, Okay. It's the master morality, dog. Except, you know, again, he doesn't name drop Nietzsche. He name drops Marcus Garvey, which is just further credence to what I've been saying. Like, man, fuck Plato, fuck Socrates, fuck all these dudes. I don't give a fuck about them, right? This is what I care about. Anyways, um, in him name dropping Marcus Garvey, like I said, Marcus Garvey, he's basically a Nietzschean philosopher through a specific lens, okay? Uh, and in my opinion, again, he's obviously, like I said, one of the most important ones who I personally believe, you know, the fact that his work isn't included in mainstream academia is nothing to do with the quality of his work, but everything to do with the message itself that he's speaking, right? Similar to Mal or Malcolm X, dog, right? There's a reason why they teach us fucking MLK and not Malcolm X. There's a reason why they teach, uh, they didn't teach Marcus Garvey, applying that same logic. You know what I'm saying? Now, the basic idea is that Kendrick is telling us, again, this is my interpretation, okay? But... Again, it's best expressed through his lyric in that song. While you motherfuckers waiting, I'll be... I'm talking about high power now, okay? In that song, high power, he goes multiple times in the chorus. 
while you motherfuckers waiting, I'll be off the slave ship building my own pyramids, right? In my own hieroglyphs, right? Bro, mind blown the first time I heard it, right? Like, oh, wow, that's a dope fucking line. But I'm telling you, it took me 10 years to understand just how fucking dope and important <laughs> that line truly was. You know what I'm saying? This is obviously a very empowering verse that's highlighting two things. The most obvious of which being the notion that blacks are the ancestors of Egyptians, right? And two, and most importantly, is the freedom and the strength that we possess to create our own future, dog. Or quite simply, the spirit of survivance, right? Survivance is an indigenous concept. So to situate it in indigenous terms, you know, there's a, so I, I've mentioned already multiple times that I'm, you know, I've started connecting our uh, part of my reconnecting process has been, you know, learning the ancient ancestral uh, philosophy, I guess, in a nutshell uh, uh, of the, of the, the Mexica Tenoca, right? Uh, the Nahuatl. Not, I don't want to say that it's not specifically because it's the mother culture, right? So the Olmec Tolteca, right? Uh, which in turn influenced the Nahuatl culture. So it's a very complicated breakdown, and it's not the point of this episode, so I won't get into it any further than that, okay? But the basic idea is that in these lessons that I've been, you know, in this reconnecting process, there's been a lot of lessons, Doc, that I've, that I've picked up from the Temakiani who is teaching us, right? The teacher who is teaching us, the Temakiani, right? And one of the things that we recently discussed is how he personally used to lament the loss of ancestral knowledge at the hands of ancestral uh, invaders, because that really resonated with me, Doc. And I think it resonates with a lot of people. It's a very common sentiment with a lot of people who are in this circle, right? In this reconnecting circle. And that's the idea that not only do we lament the burning of all the information and the killing of our ancestors, but also there's a lot of resentment, okay? or to use the Nietzschean language, a lot of resentment, if you will, right? The basic idea here is that if you're angry at anything external to you, that externality controls you, okay? And that's what Nietzsche's notion, in a nutshell, of resentment is, and that's what our Damakdiani, who I'm positive has never fucking read Nietzsche, it was, was conveying to us, right? And it's the idea that, like, I had a lot of resentment, he did, towards the Spaniards, until I realized that all the things that I resented them for, I had all the power to control within myself. So he's a Tamakiani dog. He's a fucking, he's a teacher, right? I would call him a Tlamatini because of just how fucking philosophical this dude is, bro. But uh, for sure, Tamakiani, right? That's what he calls himself. So that's what I'll call him. You know what I'm saying? Uh, just as respectful to keep it, you know, respectful. But anyways, the point that he's trying to tell us is that the knowledge that we lament the loss of is only lost if we personally allow it to be. And the reason why is because the knowledge that our ancestors created, you know, it don't get me twisted. It was of incredible wisdom and detail. But the inspiration for that knowledge, the fucking physical world that we occupy, is every bit alive and well as it was when our ancestors created that knowledge, bro. There are unbroken lines of, you know, knowledge. This is something, this is something that people from a mainstream perspective, won't understand. They just think that the Spaniards came and killed all the fucking quote-unquote Indians. That's not what happened, dog. okay? They didn't even... There were some indigenous peoples who were completely unfazed by the Spanish uh, invasion, right? And because of that, there's still a lot of... There's still a lot of transmission lines of knowledge that have, were never broken, okay? So 
part of this, you know, part of the, the knowledge, the ancestral knowledge that my Temakiani has comes from one of those peoples. Okay. Uh, anyways, the point that he was trying to make by this is saying that even if the even if the knowledge had been lost, right? What inspired that knowledge is still there. So we personally can still fucking create it all over again, right? Thankfully, we're not starting from scratch. We have the foundation. We don't have it all. A lot of it was lost, right? But we have the foundation. We have the framework, okay, to build this Kali, this structural, right, this this structure, if you will. And using that knowledge, we can fucking, we can get straight back to maybe not word for word, bar for bar, but we could regain a lot of the knowledge that was lost. It's, it's just, it's incumbent upon us. And the only way that we can do that, of course, is if we are of strong face and heart and we're able to fucking do the required work necessary to recreate that knowledge, to reproduce that knowledge, right? And in many ways, I feel that's exactly what Kendrick Lamar is trying to go at us into doing with that fucking song. Specifically with that verse, Doc, when he's telling us, jump off the slave ship, build your own pyramids, write your own hieroglyphs. Like, okay, if ancient comedic culture is the ancestral legacy of, of, of Black Americans, he's telling you, like, dog, what, everything that they created, we have the power to create too. It doesn't have to be actual fucking pyramids. It doesn't have to be actual hieroglyphs. But again, the power is entirely within our hands to create beautiful works of fucking, you know, to create these beautiful works that will fucking last generations that will be revered as deeply as the pyramids, as the hieroglyphs, which is something that Kendrick Lamar has clearly done with so many of his albums, dog. Section 80, Good Kid, Mad City. I'm just listing some of my favorites. Uh, damn, you know what I'm saying? Like those three right there for sure. Um, those are beautiful flowers that have been elevated to the sky, right? That have been offered to the world. You know what I'm saying? And he's saying the only reason I was able to do that is because I let go of this fucking brainwashing that I was a victim and that I, you know, was nothing more than the result of the, of the historical forces that led me to where I am. He's saying, no, dog, that's, you know, the, to use the metaphor, to continue the metaphor, that's a slave ship. Like it's keeping you fucking, it's keeping you in this one, it's keeping you in a prison essentially. And if you want to truly become liberated, you have to let that shit go and create, create your own pyramids, write your own hieroglyphs, right? Stop allowing, stop relying more importantly on past interpretations to shape our current experience. We have to embrace, again, in line with everything I've been talking about in these last three episodes, embrace the creative role that we are endowed with, bro, and manifest it with you know the artistic capabilities that we personally possess. For Kendrick Lamar, it's by being one of the greatest fucking MCs of all time. By me, writing a podcast. For you, whatever the fuck it is you're artistic at. You know what I'm saying? Only possible if we take the power and agency that we ourselves are, are, are in, uniquely endowed with. Got to figure it out. Hence the philosophical process. Figure out what the fuck it is. Like, how you offer your flowers and go from there. You know what I'm saying? So that's how I personally took that control verse, right? And that's why I say that of all the rappers that responded, only B.O.B., Bob, whatever the fuck, I don't know, I'm sorry, right? No disrespect, but you have periods between the letters, so I don't really know what you're going for. Um, he was the only one that responded correctly. He was the one that created. He fucking ripped out that amazing fucking little guitar session. And this is where we come back full circle to the master-slave dialect that Kendrick is putting forth on that track, Right? But this episode ain't about Nietzsche, dog. It's about Kendrick and Marcus Garvey. And, you know, you want to read up on Nietzsche's interpretation of the master-slave dialect? More power to you. 
right? I have an episode about it. Go back and find it. I don't know which one it is, right? But it's in there somewhere. If you want to find someone else's, more power to you, dog, because it's great. It's good shit. You know what I'm saying? But I want to talk about Garvey, bro. Because again, even though Kendrick doesn't explicitly state it in any, you know, particular academic terminology, it's still, you could tell, just heavily influenced by this Garveyan philosophy, okay? So I guess just by way of quick introduction, Marcus Garvey, for those of us who don't know, he was a Jamaican-born black nationalist dog. He was born in 1887, and he died in 1940. So he's, you know, in the Caribbean, becomes this black nationalist leader. And uh, the thing that he was most known for, two things, really. Well, a lot of things, and I'll, I'll explain them here shortly. But it was, I guess, essentially pan-Africanism, Okay. Which is why I mentioned earlier pan-indigeneity, but it's such a complicated term. And I just don't like using it in general, okay? But that's what Garvey was fucking, you know, trying to do. So, you know, I, I introduce it just to, you know, make the correlations. Anyways, uh, for him, this pan-Africanism was a philosophy that centered around the empowerment and unity of black people worldwide, right? Worldwide. So whenever you see the pan in front of anything, like any sort of nationality, just know that it's the same fucking idea. So pan-indigeneity a philosophy centered around the empowerment and unity of indigenous peoples around the world. Pan, you know, pan-Europeanism. <laughs> that's one of them. That's one of them too, dog. It's called Christianity, right? It's called the Western culture, all sorts of different things. Anyways, his particular views, his particular views, Garvey's, okay? Uh, there were seven of them that he was most famous for, that he held, right? And the first, the first one was black pride and self-respect. Again, dog, like, the more I read this, the more I realize two things. There's a very fucking obvious reason why they don't teach this, okay, to people like myself. And two, just how deeply influenced, clearly, I have been by Marcus Garvey. Even though I've never really, like, delved too deeply into his philosophy, even though I wasn't a fucking black American living in the early 1900s, it's still very, like... On fucking brand, dog. Word for word, bar for bar, everything that it is that hood philosophy stands for. You know what I'm saying? Which again, is a shout out for sure to Marcus Garvey, but it's also the understanding that ideas, they're a shared experience of the, of the human, uh, of the, uh, they're a shared property of the human experience. They're not, they're, no one owns ideas, bro. They're fucking a collective experience. You know what I'm saying? But shout out to fucking Marcus Garvey nonetheless, dog. So when he's talking to us about, you know, Black pride and self-respect, he believed that promoting a strong sense of racial pride and self-respect among African peoples of African descent was critically important to overcome colonialism and racism and oppression, okay? And because of that, he encouraged deeply for, you know, Black individuals specifically to embrace their culture, to embrace their heritage and their history, and to take pride in their racial identity. So right, right, right off the bat already, you can already see how deeply Kendrick Lamar is influenced by this character, Marcus Garvey. And he tells us that culture and heritage, they should be embraced, dog. They should be embraced with pride, as opposed to the shame that we've been indoctrinated to feel for, you know, by, you know, the quote unquote white folks up at the academic universities, these prestigious institutional learning facilities that cannot be questioned the same way the fucking church couldn't be questioned back in the fucking dark ages. You know what I'm saying? But um, yeah, all you're saying is like, yeah, dog, the masters, the, the quote unquote masters of mankind, they're never going to teach you anything that's going to empower you. In fact, they're going to do the exact opposite. They're going to degrade you at any fucking moment they can in order to ensure that you stay subservient to them. So here comes this fucking Marcus Garvey character. And he's like, actually, we should do the exact opposite. 
We should embrace our cultural heritage with pride as opposed to the shame that we've been indoctrinated to feel and use that as a fucking catapult for liberation, essentially, right? That doing so was important to counter the negative stereotypes and the messages of inferiority that are perpetuated by colonialism, slavery, and racism, right? So for him specifically, Garvey, he believed that Black pride meant recognizing and valuing the contributions of African culture to human history, art, science, and civilization, right? So basically, dog, this is, this is the part, I really enjoyed this part, right? Because academia, it really is this fucking, it's, it's just colonialism, dog. It's a colonial institution, a colonial order that tries, tries to maintain a colonial order. But some academics are clever as fuck, dog. And they don't, they learn how to, they have the finesse to be able to work within the system. I did it. I'm very fucking blunt, straightforward, like, fuck you, fuck that, fuck everybody, right? But there are some people who can, you know, it's because it kills my soul, dog. I feel like it's, you know, I don't want to say fake because the people I'm about to shout out, I don't think they're fake. But for me personally, it's just, it's just not my, it's not my style. You know what I mean? But the point that I'm trying to make is even though they don't fucking teach Marcus Garvey, dog, a lot of the cultural education that we're, you know, that's currently couture in academia is heavily influenced by this idea, dog. None more, none more specifically than culturally relevant and culturally sustaining pedagogy. Bringing it on back, rewinding this bitch to the very beginning. You know what I mean? This is cultural relevant pedagogy, CRP, and culturally sustaining pedagogy, CSP. They're basically a filtered version of Marcus Garvey philosophy, right? For those of y'all who watch Stranger Things when they're trying to talk about taking the shots of vodka, like if you just give people a shot of vodka straight up, most of them are going to reject it. But if you water it down a little bit and present it to them slowly but surely, people will be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. You know what I'm saying? And that's basically what's happening here with this CRP and CSP. The most prominent part of both of which being a student-centered approach, an asset-based approach. Let's focus on the students and highlight the strengths that they built, that they bring into our classroom. That's fucking Marcus, that's Marcus Garvey philosophy 101, dog, right? Anyways, as far as self-respect is concerned, for him, he thought that it involved valuing oneself and one's potential. This is some shit I really fuck with, dog. I really fuck with this idea. You know what I'm saying? He believed that by developing a positive image and a sense of self-worth, that individuals could better resist psychological, the, the psychological and social impact of racial discrimination and oppression, right? This helped me really understand why I had such negative sentiments in the past about cholos, bro. Because, I'm, you know, in the past, I didn't care for them, but I didn't really know why. And there's a lot of reasons why, right? For one, they made fucking life a living hell. For two, in this particular sense, is because Bro, don't you see what the fuck is happening? We're in an ongoing battle against these fucking European supremacists who came here and they fucking minimized us to, they reduced us to fucking nothing. And you're perpetuating that because you're not developing this positive image and sense of self-worth. And it's not a positive image in light with European standards. Like, I don't expect you to be all buttoned up and fucking, you know what I mean? A nine to five. Oh, yes, sir, I'm here, right? No, that's not what I'm talking about. I mean, like, a positive image in the sense that irrespective of what you wear, you carry you carry yourself with a fucking understanding that there are certain things that are beneath us. You know what I mean? Cholo culture, dog, killing our own peoples, that's beneath us. Staying fucking stoned and drunk, 
for no other reason than we're trying to escape the pains of reality, that's beneath us. Our ancestors were fucking survivors, dog. You know what I'm saying? And to wallow around in the world and be like, oh, my life's miserable because of fucking uh, the, the school to prison pipeline. You're making the choice. You're choosing to do that. You know what I mean? And that's where this, you're choosing to perpetuate that cycle, right? Like, yeah, the, the trap is laid there. Like everybody can see it. You know what I mean? But by allowing yourself to be forced into it, that's how you're choosing it. You know what I'm saying? Tacit consent, dog. So when I'm reading this Marcus Garvey philosophy, it's, it's understanding like you got to develop a positive image and say, you know what, dog? I'm better than that. I deserve better than that. I have a higher sense of self. You know what I mean? It could have been easy for me personally to take the easy way out like a lot of motherfuckers in the hood that I grew up with and just allowed the school to prison pipeline to swallow us whole. But I always was like, nah, dog, I, I'm better than that. And I'm going to carry myself as such. One of the reasons why I don't have any homies anymore from back in the day, they always thought like, oh, this fool thinks he's better than us. Like, yeah, dog, I am. And you're better than this too. Like, what the fuck? You know what I mean? Act accordingly, bro. But for me, it was always like, ah, oh, this fool got an education. He thinks he's fucking so much better than us. Blah. Like, no, dude, it was even before the education. You know what I'm saying? But if you insist on fucking maintaining this substandard potential that you're capable of, then that's on you and I can't fuck with you no more. You know what I'm saying? Anyways, for him, this was this is the only way to overcome the, you know, the psychological effects that racial discrimination and oppression have on us. Because again, it starts in the mind, bro. If you're a slave in the mind, it doesn't matter where your body's physically located, right? And uh, to that end, for him personally, Garvey, it also meant refusing to accept degrading treatment and demanding equal treatment and rights instead, right? This part right here, Doug, this is obviously, it's most obviously seen in the struggle for representation in, in politics. But low key, for me personally, again, that's why I don't fuck with academic philosophers. Me la pelan los ways, right? That's very vulgar Spanish for saying they can. I won't even translate it, dog. It's just vulgar, okay? But fuck that. It's me la pelan los ways in academia. For sure, for real, dog. Straight up, right? I learned this shit from one of my homies from jujitsu, dog. Shout out Red Ape 13 on the gram. For those of you who don't follow him, I encourage you to do so, right? This part, low key, bro. Like, yeah, the representation in politics, that's important, right? But it was my boy, Alvin, dog, who made me aware of how this implies through shit like the treatment of black men in Hollywood. This motherfucker's been talking about this for years, dog, over a decade. I've known him for over a decade, and he's been talking about it since then, right? He's the one that first turned me on to how they, they, the people who, you know, run Hollywood, are trying to keep black men in check by degrading them and making them dress like women in Hollywood, right? And when motherfuckers call it out or when they simply say no, they get accused of toxic masculinity, they get accused of homophobia, and even the most extreme of people will somehow call them anti-Semites uh, anti for choosing to do so. And it's like, what the fuck does this have to do with being Jewish? You know what I'm saying? Like, how the fuck does that happen, okay? I can understand the toxic masculinity and homophobia to an extent, but where the fuck does the anti-Semitism come in, right? The answer is that's just mostly something that people will say because it's the most extreme example and they understand full well that once people are, you know, criticized of that, being anti-Semite, being anti-Black, et cetera, most people will be like, holy shit, I better stop everything that it is that people are accusing me of this because I don't want to go, I don't want to be, uh, uh, you know, uh, likened to a Nazi or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Anyway. The idea here being is that if you're criticizing black men being in dresses, then you must be anti-Semite and most people will stop doing it and thus allow 
for it to become culturally acceptable for black men to be seen wearing black dresses. It's the basic idea, right? And I'm butchering it. Go follow, you know, Alvin and he'll do a better job of explaining it, okay? All I'm trying to say is that from a Garveyist perspective, it makes perfect sense because it's like, are you sure that's what's happening? Are you sure I'm a fucking toxic masculinity, homophobic, anti-Semite by saying that it's kind of suspect that black men are being, you know, asked to wear dresses when they're really famous, right? And for saying that I don't agree that they should be doing that, right? Am I really that? Or am I taking, I'm a more of a Garveyist here when I'm saying that, why the fuck should I be degraded and demeaned just to fit into your social order? Like, no, I'm not going to fucking do that. I demand equal fucking treatment, dog. Equal fucking representation. And I don't give a fuck what you think about that because I'm not trying to be part of your society anyways, which is <laughs> something that we'll see here shortly, okay? But uh, as far as this self-respect is concerned, Garvey believed that by promoting black pride and self-respect, you could uplift the morale and the collective consciousness of the black community. Heavy shit, dog. Heavy shit that motherfuckers, uh, you got to ask yourself, like, okay, well, who really stands to benefit from this? And the answer is not white bourgeoisie people, right? So, of course, they're going to do whatever it takes to fucking keep that from fomenting within the black consciousness, including calling them toxic masculinities, homophobia, uh, homophobics, et cetera, and so on, anti-Semites, et cetera, right? Whatever the case, it's all about uplifting the morale and collective consciousness, dog. Ideas that... Garvey believed were crucial for empowering individuals to work towards economic and political advancement in order to resist social injustices and, most importantly, in order to be able to contribute positively to their communities. He saw these principles as necessary for creating a strong and unified global Black community that could overcome the challenges that are posed by colonialism and racism, right? So to this end, he was a proponent, this was like one of his really famous ideas, of the Back to Africa movement, right? He was he was all about African repatriation, dog, particularly to Liberia, which was the American colony out there, right? Is um, And he saw that that was necessary to escape racial oppression uh, and injustice by establishing a new, independent, and prosperous African nation. Now, unfortunately, for those of us who know about Liberia, that that's not what happened. I'm not saying it can't happen, but that's not what has happened, right? Basically, those the, the freed slaves. For those of you who don't know the history of Liberia, it was Abraham Lincoln was not a good dude. Obviously, he's an American president. None of them are. And he did not like black people, dog. He wanted them to, he wanted them to go back to Africa, right? And when he freed the slaves, he did he offered them the ability to do just that. And he created a colony, Liberia, an American colony in Africa, and did and he said, All right, if you want to go back to Africa, boom, there you go. Right. And uh a lot of them took up on that. And as amazing as it sounds, what they did is they actually went there and utilized all the tactics that they learned from fucking antebellum South slavery and imposed it on the indigenous peoples of, of Liberia, right? Very tragic story, but it's more complicated than that, I'm sure, too. But that's the basic gist. If you want to learn about it, feel free to look it up, right? Not the, not the intention of this episode. So one of the critiques, I guess you could say, about, you know, Mar uh, Marcus Garvey's ideas, right? Anyways, he personally saw that this repre uh, repatriation was the only way to escape the, system, uh, the systemic and economic exploitation that, you know, Black Americans faced. But again, whether, you know, that's, that's why I say, like, it's not about ethnicity, dog. It's human nature. Every fucking time it boils down to human nature. You know what I mean? So take with that information what you will. 
Anyways, dog, as unfortunate as the whole Liberia shit is, that doesn't take away from the fact that it could potentially happen one day, right? In fact, this is, you know, how I mentioned already before, uh, intellectual influence. That's why I'm so insistent on, uh, on, on being, you know, asserting the indigeneity of Chicano, dog. And conversely, that's why I'm convinced so many Lat Latinx dorks, if you will, so many among our own people, dog, let alone white people, you know what I'm saying? will insist otherwise. And the reason being is that the development of a Chicano nation is the only way to liberate ourselves from the fucking European-American <laughs> order, dog. It's that simple, okay? Like, there's no need to beat around the bush. This country is fucking evil, dog. The United States of America, it's an evil place, bro. I, You know, it, it, it pains me to say that, but it's true. And it doesn't pain me because, like, I have some sort of simpish sympathies for the fucking the country. So much as I understand full well, as well as I could possibly understand how much my grandparents suffered and sacrificed for us to come here. Meanwhile, I just want to go back, dog. I want to go back to Mexico. You know what I mean? I want to get as fucking far away from this place as possible because it's not, it's not good. Okay. It's just not good. And I'm not naive. I don't think Mexico is any better. You know what I'm saying? But it's, you know, preferable to me at this point to this, you know what I'm saying? Um, and yeah, dog, that's only, you know, beyond that, beyond the repatriation back to the, uh, back to Mexico, it's also about understanding that the only, the only way to liberate yourself is to be, you know, I'm trying to find the, the nicest way to say this. I want to be a citizen of the Chicano nation, dog. That's, that's where my citizen, that's where my allegiance would lie. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, this whole pledge allegiance to the United States, fuck you and your flag, dog. Okay. I'm not going to do that. Right. I have no interest in doing that. The same is true for Mexico. Like, oh, whatever the fuck the Mexican national anthem is. You know, I don't want that. I want it to be an indigenization, a land back movement. You know what I'm saying? And this is exactly what Marcus Garvey is talking about, bro. And as unfortunate as the example of Liberia was, a black country doesn't even have to be one that is founded by the United States that could do this, he felt, would be a powerful symbol for black achievement and unity. Right. Which was necessary, again, to gain liberation, he felt, from the social, economic, and political subjugation that is imposed by white-dominated societies, right? And he's telling us that by reclaiming control over our destiny and resources, Black individuals could break free from the cycle of exploitation and oppression, which, again, a little bit more synchronicity for those of y'all who perhaps ain't seen it. This is currently happening in Africa right now, Doc, as we speak, and it's a beautiful thing to witness. The SparkNotes version, again, because it's not the intention of this episode, is that African nations, many of them are forming alliances, bro, with Russia and China. And they're saying, again, just like I did right now, enough is enough with this fucking European colonialism. We're sick and tired of it, dog. Which, you know, is naturally, it spells disaster for the US and its allies. What's happening right now is specifically with France. I think France even so uh, uh, covertly attacked Burkina Faso, but... There's a lot there's a lot happening on the African continent right now. And the whole idea is that a lot of the leaders feel is why the fuck should we show any sort of allegiance to the United States and the Western world when all they come do is exploit our country's resources and fucking kill us? When China and Russia are coming here and they're helping build the country, not destroy it, they're helping build the continent, not destroy it, right? And again, you know, you hear shit like this and you're just like, I really can't help but wonder why they don't teach Marcus Garvey in the universities. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? 
And by the way, again, more parallel here. This is currently, again, for those of you who have, you know, perhaps not seen it, this is currently happening in Mexico too, dog. The president is trying to join BRICS. He's trying to get as far away from Euro American, European, fucking colonialism, imperialism specifically as possible. And, you know, the same logic. Why the fuck should we as Mexicans willingly give up our natural resources to these fucking peoples who have for 500 years terrorized us at every opportunity that they get? Like, no, we're going to fucking... That's it. We're putting our foot down and saying enough is enough, right? So as radical and revolutionary as everything that I said qualifying what I just said right now about the fucking Chicano Nation and all that kind of shit might sound, bro, this shit's already in practice and it's got nothing to do with, it's the situation that we were fucking dealt by, you know, colonialism and imperialism. Anyways, in going back to Garvey, bro, he felt that, you know, this back to Africa movement, this would, you know, help facilitate the revival of African culture, traditions, and values that had been eroded by centuries of colonialism. Again, I read this shit and I'm like, bro, that is word for word, bar for bar, what is happening with the Chicano movement. That's what we're saying. Like, dog, we're trying to undo colonialism. We're trying to regain our cultural legacies. We're trying to regain our traditions and our values, right, that have been er eroded by centuries of colonialism, slavery, and fucking all around European oppression, bro. You know what I mean? And the only way to do so, and this is what Garvey is telling us, is through economic potential, which, you know, this buy black, dog. You've seen the signs before, right? Support brown businesses. Keep the money in our communities instead of looking, giving it away to these corporations that do nothing more than continue the very cycle of exploitation that we're trying to, un that we're trying to undo, right? Foster a strong sense of collective identity and unity that is predicated and centralized around a cultural legacy. You know what I mean? And build self-dignity and worth from that. Not this fucking shit that we've been brainwashed to believe we are, but real authentic ancestral fucking pride, essentially. And it would have to be in a way that operates within the systems that we find ourselves in. So in this case, capitalism, bro. Like you need, in order to have a successful movement, it's got to be predicated on economic success, you know, because you're not going to become self-sufficient without it in a capitalist world. I'm still, of the, I'm still of the belief, dog. Not a fan of it, but still maintain it's easier to imagine the end of the world than it is to imagine the end of capitalism. You know what I mean? And obviously, Marcus Garvey, he didn't fucking feel otherwise. You know what I mean? And he's telling us that if you want to achieve political and social equality, as well as center the effects or rather counter the effects of systemic racism and exploitation, you got to do so through the dollar. You got to unite the dollars, right? And uh, that's where his whole ideas about black economic empowerment come from. He's telling us, you got to be self-sufficient, bro. We, him, as the black community, he told them they need to be self-sufficient and economically independent by developing their own businesses, developing their own industries and their own institutions that are owned and operated by black people so that they could reduce their reliance on white-dominated economic systems that perpetuate inequality, right? Which, of course, you can only do by having black entrepreneurs and black business owners, okay, who create jobs for the black community, who generate wealth in the black community, who empower the black community to control their own economic destiny. And perhaps most importantly, to accumulate wealth in the black community, right? As opposed to just giving the wealth back to the colonial masters. Again, everything that he's saying there, dog, holds true for us, which is why I laugh at that fucking bitch ass article, Dole Somos Blancos. No, we're not. 
We're not white, okay? We're nothing but, anything but white, dog. You could fucking point to the piece of paper. Look, the Treaty of Guadalupe Dalgo says all Mexicans are white. Fuck you. That's just another way for the United States government to disempower us and continue to fucking subjugate us. And if we want true liberation, that's the way to go, right? The way here being what Marcus Garvey is laying out, dog. He's telling us, bro, we need cooperative economics, right? We need effort. He's telling, he was speaking to the black community, but again, you know, same same fucking struggle dog we need efforts among you know black individuals and communities to come together and pool their resources to share their knowledge and collaborate on business ventures that could lead to greater economic success and stability right there's this dope ass video that i saw recently dog it's, i've seen it before but it's circulating again recently it was about this black dude he's doing a video and it, it really did like it, it, i felt for the dude man like i never noticed it before but he's actually crying as he's talking about this and, you know, people are speculating as to the reasons why he's crying. And for me personally, I feel because of this right here. He's crying because of this right here. And uh, the video is just him talking to his phone and saying that a Mexican man bought a house that was abandoned in front of his home. And that he's seen this Mexican dude show up. And basically, like the Mexican dude asked, like, hey, are these your cars? And that dude is recording. This is black guy. And he's like, no, nah, those are my cars. And the dude, the Mexican dude tells him, oh, well, because I just bought this property, but I didn't buy these cars. So if they're yours, I don't want to take them, right? And the, the dude is like, you know, his new neighbor was like, oh, that's awesome, man. But no, they're not my cars. Do your thing, right? And then basically, like, long story short, he tells him, he asks him, like, what are all these people doing here? Because, you know, a bunch of Mexicans show up, uh, basically. And the dude responds by saying, oh, we're going we're gonna to fix this house, Right. And then the dude goes on to talk about how he went to bed. It was about, he, he, this happened around seven o'clock at night. So he got off of work, he goes to bed or whatever. He wakes up the next morning and the fucking house had been completely rebuilt. They went inside and they did all the, completely rebuilt, obviously. That's hyperbolic, but all the drywall inside the house had been done in one in one night by the fucking, the, 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 the dude that bought it and all of his homies. And what he's saying basically is like, that was impressive. Like, holy shit, what? What fucking friends does this guy must have that they were able to knock that shit out in one fucking night? You know what I mean? And again, this is exactly what this Garvey character is talking about when he speaks about cooperative economics. Like, bro, we need to stop relying on these fucking white European peoples and, you know, giving them their money, giving them our, our money and keep it among ourselves. Learn how to pool our resources to share our knowledge. Dog, drywalling is a valuable skill. If we can keep that shit within our community, we'll fucking, there's, you know, there's a lot of power in that, dog. You know what I mean? Pooling the resources. Why should I have to go work for a white business owner when we can just pool our own resources and start our own fucking landscaping company to be as, you know, uh, fucking stereotypical about it. To start our own drywall company, to start our own roofing company, et cetera, and so on and so forth. You know what I'm saying? And that this in and of itself will lead to the greater economic and su economic success, success and stability that's necessary to fucking undo this unfair exploitation that we experience daily at the hands of the colonial European people who set up this rigged game of capitalism to strictly benefit themselves, right? And from there, he talks to us about the redistribution of wealth. He's telling us, it's not enough, this empowerment philosophy tells us, it's not enough to just make the money. You have to redistribute that money within your own community. You have to elevate the members of your own community because again, this is non-European philosophy, dog, in a nutshell. European people love to look after themselves, right? Co-op, collectivism, that's that's our shit here on Turtle Island. This is long before European people came here. 
we had collective societies long before Marx wrote the most allegedly influential book of all time. Uh, we had collectivism here on this fucking land. You know what I'm saying? And that's all Marcus Garvey saying, bro. We need to fucking collectivize our power and use it to gain political independence and unity, which is why, you know, this is what he's saying, bro. He believed when he's speaking of his pan-Africanism, he's saying, dog, it doesn't matter what African descent you are. It doesn't matter where your location is. What's essential is coming together and overcoming oppression and achieving progress, dog, in the form of political independence and self-governance. Everything else, inconsequential. We need to have solidarity among our communities around the world in order to do so. It will not happen without it. So to further tie it in with like the whole pan-indigeneity shit that I talk about, like I get that, you know, our native relatives, especially those here from quote-unquote North America, why they get upset when people like myself, a detribalized Chicano who's talking about indigeneity, I, get, I understand why they get upset, but I don't agree with it. And all I'm trying to tell them is like, yeah, I want to return back to my ancestral legacy. I want to undo this colonial European brainwashing. But also, dog, like, we got to come together, bro. This is the only way to do it. Like, the Igor and Condor prophecy. You know what I'm saying? Whether, you know, where, where that originated from, you know, different story. But the idea is that until the brown indigenous peoples of this continent come together, we'll never be able to get our land back. It's that simple, bro. So when I speak of pan-indigeneity, it's not about trying to dismiss our indigenous relatives who are still connected so much as it's trying to say like, bro, this is a joint collective struggle that we're facing. And by arguing among petty, not petty, but arguing among the differences and saying who's indigenous, who's not, right? Using colonial tools like blood quantum to determine that it's not helping anybody but the colonial oppressors, bro. That's all I'm trying to say with it. You know what I mean? Which this is along the same lines of what Marcus Garvey's talking about. He's saying, nah, man, like we need to come together irrespective of if you're black, you're black. No matter what country you are in, from, from Africa, right? You need to come together, put aside our differences and use that to fucking gain our independence from colonial rule. Garvey is saying what we want is self-governance, bro. And that can only be had through unity and solidarity, right? You got to be unified. It doesn't matter. Again, doesn't matter where you're from. Again, I don't give a fuck if you black, white, Asian, Hispanic, God damn it, that don't mean shit to me. Fuck your ethnicity, right? That's, come on, man. This is, don't act brand new, bro. This is everything Kendrick Lamar is talking about. And now it's just, instead of being focused specifically towards black Americans like Garvey is, it's expanded to the global population of every single person who has ever heard Section 80 by Kendrick Lamar around the world, which is tens, if not hundreds of millions of people at this point, dog. Moving on, he also speaks about the importance of cultural awareness. He says that it's so important, dog, to preserve and promote, specifically for him, African culture and traditions. But again, I'll continue to emphasize it's, it relates to everybody who's in this same similar struggle, okay? He encouraged people, Garvey did, of African descent to take pride in their cultural heritage and celebrate their cultural roots because this, again, helps build a sense of self-worth and empowerment that I was talking about earlier, especially in the face of, you know, all the negative stereotypes that have emerged since you know, in the last 500 years. But this could only be done with a cultural revival by way of promoting, you know, African cultural traditions that have been suppressed or outright eroded due to colonialism and slavery. So again, dog, like, people will be like, oh, Chicanos aren't indigenous. Dog, shut the fuck up. Like, it's here, bro. The playbook is here. You stop doing the bidding of the European colonialists. You know what I'm saying? We got to re-embrace these traditions and, you know, reconnect individuals with our ancestral roots to contribute to a stronger sense of identity and community 
that is necessary to overcome the fucking years of oppression that, you know, the years of colonial rule that we've endured, right? Which itself is only possible through education, Doug. And this is, you know, something that Garvey advocated for deeply. Him specifically, he spoke again about the education of black people, about their history, traditions, and contributions. But I got to continue to emphasize, I'll probably stop at this point, the, 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 the struggle is parallel, dog. You know what I'm saying? And uh, he believed that by understanding real history or through an African leg specific, uh, an African lens specifically, uh, by centering, okay, uh, the history through an African lens, you can counter all the distortions and omissions that have been left out by the European education system that, of course, work to only benefit European people. So with that, in order of to wind this bitch down, I have so much more, dog, but I'm going to try. I'm, I'm already over an hour long mark, right? So I'm going to try to wind this bitch down. There's so much more. I mean, you, you know, if you're interested, by all means, dog, right? Go research that shit. But uh, all of this leads to perhaps his most controversial idea, controversial, and that is that he was so committed to resisting assimilation and to white culture that at one point he even had a meeting with the leader of the KKK, <laughs> right? Uh, this was actually probably perhaps one of the things that doomed his entire enterprise. But he had a meeting with the leader of the KKK praising their segregation laws because he felt as though two different cultures should be completely separated in order to preserve the authenticity of the black culture specifically, right? <laughs> so he was very... He was very critical of assimilation into white-dominated societies, right? Because he believed, again, that doing so would inevitably lead to a loss of cultural identity and the perpetuation of racial subjugation. So as far as the cultural awareness was concerned, it was a means of resisting assimilation. And a, it was also a way to try to maintain a distinct cultural practice and values, right? So... Ooh, while advocating for the preservation of African culture, he also supported cultural exchange and collaboration among black communities worldwide only, right? Uh, because again, it would help foster the pan-indigeneity. But as far as, you know, at least the white culture, for sure, he was, nope, wanted nothing to do with it, dog. Actually, this time for real, dog, one last thing about Garvey that really, that I really fuck with heavy was his ideas about education. So basically, Education was the only way to get this going. This it speaks to my teacher heart, bro. Of course, this is going to be my favorite part. You know what I'm saying? What he's telling us is that none of this is possible without a proper education, okay? You need to have a proper education that is directed specifically towards enlightening and empowering the masses. He tells us that educated people, they're able to critically analyze their circumstances and understand their rights and make informed decisions. You all, I always, always inevitably in my classes emerges this idea of students will ask organically. I'll never push the agenda, but it will always, always emerge. It's never failed. Why don't they teach us philosophy at an earlier age? And the answer is, well, maybe because they, the bourgeoisie, the masters of mankind, don't want an educated populace that is capable of critically analyzing the situation that we currently find ourselves in. This is not new. Marcus Garvey knew it. Fuck even as much fucking credit as I hate to give them. People as far back as in the Western world, Socrates and Plato fucking knew it. Our ancestral uh, Nahuatl philosophers, Demaktianis, they and Tlamatini knew it for tens of thousands of years. You need to have a critically educated population, right? 
And when you don't, well, you have some problems there. You're gonna have some problems there, right? So uh, as far as Garvey's concerned, he advocated for educational programs that taught black history, culture, and relevant skills to uplift and prepare individuals for active participation in society. Or basically everything that it is that we used to do with the Nahuatl culture, right? Find your purpose in life and work towards manifesting it, bro. You were brought here for a reason. Let's use that reason specifically now to uplift our culture and our society, okay? All of which requires mass mobilization and effective organization and leadership. This was ultimately their, you know, mass mobilization and education. They're interlinked strategies for empowering individuals. Again, I'm not even going to qualify by saying black individuals anymore. I'm at the end, but I'm going to right? I've, if I haven't made the connection fucking obvious by this point that I'm not trying to diss them or in any way, shape, or form, more, or moreover, like, I, I can't help that. You know what I'm saying? It's fuck your race, fuck your creed, fuck your ethnicity, right? I don't, I don't give a fuck about that shit. It's about mass mobilization and education is an interleague strategy for empowering individuals and communities. And that by doing this, you could challenge social injustices, combat inequality, and work towards achieving a truly equitable society. And yeah, I guess that's about as good a time as any to fucking wrap this bitch up. I hope you enjoyed my little fucking spiel on Kendrick and, you know, Marcus Garvey. And if you haven't, fuck it, dog. I'll try better next time. Until then, I hope you all have a great rest of your day. And I'll see you for the next episode. Peace.